You're listening to audio from One Church of High Point. If you'd like more resources or would like to donate, visit onechurchnc.net. There's a, uh, there's a tradition that uh, Emma and I grew up in. Uh, we grew up in the Quaker church. As the song ended, it just, it just was like, we've got to do it. Um, it's, a, it's called Open Worship. And basically what that is, is um, in open worship, in this tradition in the Quaker church, um, there's silence in the room. And it's so that we can center in on who the Holy Spirit is. We can center in on God, what are you doing right with me right now? What are you, what are you trying to show me? And even not even asking that, just, God, I want to see you. We, are, we, we say, show us your glory. Like, are we, are we singing these words? Are we saying, God, here now? Are we, are, we, are we saying these words? God, this is holy ground. Are we saying that because it's a song? Or are we singing it because that's what we believe, that this is a holy space where we, where we take off our shoes and we go, God, like, show me. Show me who you are. Show me how unworthy I am because of how good you are. And that's what, I, that's what I want us to do right now. That's what I want us to do. We sit in this room for a few moments in, in, in silence. And this can be awkward. For those of us who are constantly scrolling, there's constantly music in the background. We, we, we don't know what to do with our own thoughts in the silence. It's gonna be awkward. It's gonna be hard. But in this moment, in this open worship, what, what this is, is it's an opportunity for you to just reflect on what God's doing in you, what he's trying to show you. And, um, and in that, if there's a testimony that you have to share, and I, I wanna warn you, like, just because it's silent doesn't mean you gotta talk. Some of y'all like to talk. Just because it's silent doesn't mean you have to have testimony. Sometimes that testimony is just for you, all right? So dwell in that. Say, God, what is it that you're trying to teach me? God, is there, is there a word? Be careful asking this, but is there a word I'm supposed to share for somebody else? Or is it just my praise of what you've done? You can sit, you can stand, but let God meet you in this moment right now. We're going to spend just a couple minutes, um, and then as, as we feel led, y'all can just close in that, that last bit of the song again. I'm not, stop me. I value the silence, so I do want to have the silence. But I have to say this. You have not because you believe not. God, show us your glory. Fear, bow, chains fall. The words mean nothing if you don't believe it. God has the power to set us free. 
the God of Scripture, that Scripture is literal. And that he is not different. He is the same. Have you told fear to bow in Jesus' name and then expect him to do it? Have you told that voice in the back of your mind to shut up in Jesus' name? Have you told him to get out and leave because you were bought by the blood of Jesus Christ? He died, descended in the hell, stole back the keys so that he can set the captives free. What are you doing? Why are you living in bondage? Why are you listening to the lies? Be careful who you allow to speak into your life. Dig in the word. Learn the words and use them. Our spirit and the tongue is a sword, a two-edged sword. Use it. In this silence, please seek after God. Ask him to meet you here and expect him to do that.
this tradition um, sometimes it'd be five minutes depending on the church and the setting sometimes it'd be 20 minutes sometimes it'd be the entire service for an hour and a half and in that there's gaps of 20 minutes of silence you have the church lady who's been in that same spot in that same row for the last 70 years and she's always got some sort of testimony and sometimes it's the same one as she shared last week but it's just so good to hear the testimonies of the people. But at the end of, the, of this uh, open worship, there was a phrase and it, and it, it goes, are, our, are all hearts and minds clear? Are all hearts clear? And what it's asking is like, it's kind of like that final charge before we move on to whatever else we've got planned or whatever else we like, is there something else? Is, is there somebody else that's supposed to have said something? Is there some, are, are you still in that moment? And so I'm gonna ask that, are, are, are all hearts clear? And if nobody has anything to say, we move on. But it was, it's that intentional moment of just, God, I wanna have that in, intimate one-on-one with you right now. It's not about the music, it's not about the preacher, it's not about the building, it's not about my all- allocated you know, two hours or whatever. It's, it's just me and you, God. Thank y'all, worship team. Y'all can be seated. So today we're going to talk about a uh, one of my favorite people in history, one of my favorite, uh, I don't like the word character. We talk about the Bible, like they're actual people, but because it's in a book, sometimes we use the word like characters or stories and like, no, these are history. So like this is my favorite person in history. Um, but we're going to talk about uh, the person of Peter today. And um, Peter is one of my favorites because he's just this, he's this rough person. He is uh, bold. He is um, rough around the edges. He's it's the person that, I mean, he, he tried to cut off somebody's ear. He jumps out of boats without thinking. Um, he just drops everything and goes. And uh, just even even like some of the stuff that comes out of his mouth is uh, like, oh, 
okay, you, you said that before you thought it. <laughs> um, and so it just, the, you need a PG in your life. And so like for us, it would look like somebody walking in uh, still in their, you know, mechanics outfit with a ball cap on, probably maybe even with a beer in their hand. Like, let's just be real here. Like, that's the kind of person that Peter was. He was in that culture, very blue-collar, very um, rough around the edges. It wasn't, like, somebody of class, wasn't educated. Um, and so, like, I relate to that a little bit. I didn't go to, like, a fancy school, um, but just because of my, my upbringing, like, we didn't have all these great things, and, you know, our home life was a little messy probably, and so um, I can relate to that a little bit. Um, but for, for, for some of us, and, and I have grown to be this, and I, I say unfortunately, but like the Peters that we have in our life kind of bring us out of our shell and say, hey, maybe you don't need to think so much and just start talking, or maybe you don't need to think so much and just start doing. Um, and so if you don't have a Peter in life, I know of a few in this building that we can point you to, all right? If you're kind of one of those people like, well, I'm not going to sing too loud, or I'm just going to sit here real calm, church is supposed to be real calm and not, not supposed to be fun, you need a Peter, all right? So find me, find somebody else. We will find you a Peter to have in your life. Um, so our main scripture is going to be coming out of Luke 15. So if you want, pull that up in your Bible app or in your Bible, and we're going to stand to read this scripture. As we sung, we're talking about holy ground. This is a holy word. This is God's word. And so we're going to stand in, in, in honor of that and in reverence of that. Luke 15, verses 1 through 11. On one occasion, while the crowd was, crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked them to put out a little from the land. And, he's, and he sat down and taught people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, "'Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch.'" And Simon answered, Master, we have toiled all night long and have taken nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And he signaled to their partners in the other boats to come and help them. And, and, and they came and filled both boats, so much so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of the fish they had taken. And also... And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and followed him. All right, now we're going to jump to John 21. That's about two books later. Mark, Luke, no, sorry, one book later. Um, John 21, verses 15. I'll be on the screen if you need to. Verse 15, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, you were, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you wherever, where, do you, where you do not want to go. This he said to show about what kind of death he was in glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him again, follow me. 
All right, y'all can be seated. Jesus, we just thank you so much for uh, your word. We thank you for your, your, your testimony, the life that you lived. God, I pray that you um, set aside any nerves that I may have right now. God, as you fill me from the bottom of my feet to the top of my head with your presence, help me to say the words that I need to say um, for, for your purpose and your glory and keep my mouth shut on the things I don't need to say. God, I pray for ears to be opened and eyes to be uh, opened so that people can hear from you in this moment. Let me say no more and let me say no less. And we ask this in your name. Amen. So like I said, we're going to do a kind of a brief walkthrough of Peter. Um, and the idea is that we're going to have these, these uh, we, we look at this as a snapshot of Peter's life. There's three calls that he has in his life that Jesus lays out in front of him. There is uh, the call to repent, the call to follow, and the call to be sent. Um, these, these three things, the call to repent, the call to follow, and the call to be sent. Uh, in this, um, that, that first one, nobody really likes to talk about, the call to repent. Uh, repentance is kind of a nasty word. It's kind of a word that a lot of churches uh, kind of shy away from. Maybe they maybe only touch on Easter, or they like kind of say it in secret in small group, but they may not say it here. And because um, who who likes to be told you're doing wrong? Nobody does. Um, and so like, there's a lot of churches, and I, I'm not going to go on this soapbox, but there are churches who refuse to talk about sin and repent. They just talk about the grace of God. They just talk about the goodness of God. But how can you talk about the goodness of God? How can you talk about how grand and great he is without talking about how, how unworthy and how sinful and how, I mean, for, and how nasty? I mean, if we look at Scripture, like, we're seen as filthy rags. I think about oil rags or rags that are used uh, by the medical field that got blood on them. Like, they're nasty, useless rags compared to God's goodness. How can you say, God, you are good, and seeing you are good and not talk about why he is so good. And so we have to talk about the call of repentance. I'm gonna use a lot of scripture today. I hope that's okay with you guys. Um, so you may be going back and forth. Um, you may get a little bored if you're not used to reading so much. But um, we're gonna look at Romans chapter three. I can't remember. Do I have that on? Yep, perfect. All right, so it's Romans chapter three, verses nine. What shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? This is, uh, let me, so this is uh, Paul writing his letter to the Roman church. So these are all believers uh, in, in this area. Um, they have accepted Christ. They're, he's trying to like, okay, we've gotten you, you know, to say yes to Jesus. Now we need to kind of get you a little bit more purdy, like get, get, get rid of the sin. <laughs> um, and so in this, there's this, there's this battle of, well, because Jesus died for us, like why, why do we have to live a holy life? Like if, if God's sacrifice is there, What's the point of stopping sin if it's already been defeated? Y'all get the question? We probably ask that ourselves sometimes. What's like, well, I'm going to just keep doing this because Jesus' forgiveness is still there. His grace is still there. But that's the wrong way of thinking, and here's what Paul has to say about it. Verse 9. What shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles, that's us, Gentiles, Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin, as it is written. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Throats are open graves. Like the words we speak are death. That's basically what it's saying. 
The words we speak are death. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers are on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. In the way of peace, they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, the law being the Old Testament, now we know whatever the law says, it says to those who are under it, that every mouth may be silenced so that the whole world may be accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we are conscious of our sin. We jump later in the letter to Romans 6, verses 15. It says, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? Paul says, by no means. The Old Testament, the law, Jesus' life, when we look at it in comparison to who we are and what we've done, it is supposed to be like looking in a mirror and going, ooh, that's not me. (laughs) I messed up. while later in scripture where it talks about Jesus being the fulfillment of the law, that that sacrifice was that fulfillment is because when there was sin, when there was transgression, when there was doing something that God said not to do or not doing something God said to do, there was a sacrifice that was, that was supposed to take place, a blood sacrifice of some kind or some sort of covenant. Jesus was the final sacrifice. Jesus was the final covenant in that through that, those sacrifices were no longer needed because God himself was the sacrifice and said, enough's enough. They are clearly not going to get this right, and so let me, let me send my son so I can repair this relationship that they broke up. Not the relationship that I messed up, the relationship that they broke up by choosing to disobey. Some of us, when we hear these words, you know, sometimes we don't necessarily realize our own sins, Maybe because we haven't been in the word or we haven't been in communion with God long enough. So let me, I'm going to just read a list of here. I got uh, a list of scriptures from Mark 7, Galatians 5, 1 Corinthians, Romans. I'm just going to read like what, what the New Testament says is sin. Evil thoughts, theft, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, wickedness, slander, pride, sensual, sensuality, uh, sorcery, strife, jealousy, anger, Divisions, drunkenness, orgies, homosexuality, adulterousness, greediness, drunkenness, uh, swindlers, maliciousness, gossip, disobedience to parents, faithless, the heartless. There's more and more. You, you can write them down, look at them when you get home. If you look back at anything that I just said, and one of the, my, my assumption is that one of those hit home for you, like, ooh, that's me. Even if it's just a lie. So repeat after me, I am a sinner. It's true. And if you aren't saying that because you're like, there's no way I'm a sinner, scripture says, by not saying, scripture says that by saying I am not a sinner, you have then sinned. Because we are sons of Adam. We are carnal creatures. It's like the, it's like the old school, uh, the game in uh, middle school and high school, where you uh, you walk up to somebody and guess what? Guess what? I just lost the game. Do you remember that? Maybe it was just my school. <laughs> but it, the, the whole idea of the game was to not think about it, um, because by thinking of the game, you immediately lost it. And so, in the same way here, by saying you don't have sin, you are then sinning. <laughs> um, 
And so when we look at this, like I'm sure I'm right now, I'm probably making you guys feel great right now. <laughs> Not one of these like happy, great, you know, oh, power to this. We're an army. We're going to defeat these things. No, like I'm, I'm a sinful person. <laughs> I've done this. God, man, I regret doing that, that thing. God, I regret lying to my, to my boss when I stole that bottle of cologne. God, I regret lying to my parents when, I, when my friend threw up in the car and said, no, no, we weren't drinking. No, I didn't spend that $50 in the bank account, wife. No, son, there's not a magic human that brings things once a year in the winter. (laughs) Y'all are picking up the pieces. We are all sinful. There's a call of repentance that we are to have. And the feeling that you have right now, it's probably only a fraction, a fraction of what Peter felt in this story we just read. Let's, let's go back to it. I'm actually read it from, from the book of Matthew. Um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptic gospels. They portray a lot of the same stuff, but it's just a different perspective. You look at John, he says, okay, they've talked about these things. Let me find out what they didn't talk about. Um, and so we're going to go to, um, I'm sorry, that's a different scripture. That's Matthew later. Uh, Luke 5. Verses 6. And when they had done this, throwing the nets over the the boat, when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boats to come and help, and they came and filled both boats so much so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw this, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Rather than help his buddies get the rest of the fish, rather than grab the, the net, he hopped out the boat and ran to Jesus and, and just said, I, 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 God, like, you, you're not supposed to be here. You have to be God. You have to be. And the only reason he can say that is because of four things. When, when Jesus showed up, he did something great to, to grab Peter's attention. And when God shows up in scriptures, sometimes it's just this amazing thing like these miracles. And sometimes it's just showing up. Sometimes it's just showing up and you just, you just know there is something different in this space. There's something different in this room. It has to be God. But in this moment, Jesus showed Peter four things. He saw God's knowledge. He saw his authority. He saw his intimacy. And he saw his goodness. And what we mean by that is like he's, Jesus... When I say Jesus, I'm also speaking God because Jesus is the Son of God. This, Jesus is fully man, fully God. And so Jesus showed that he had the knowledge of where to put the nets, where to put the fish, how, like, how many nets to put in, where exactly in the water. He knew all that stuff. Even if he didn't know that, he also had the authority to say, hey, fish, <laughs> go to this side of the boat. And I don't know how big that, that body of water was. I don't know how big the nets were. But if it was enough to sink the boats, it might be enough to be the entire part of the, fi- the entire school of fish over there. <laughs> and so, like, he had the authority to tell the fish, get in this little corner right here. I'm about to, like, he probably didn't tell me you're about to get caught, but <laughs> go here. So he had, they showed that authority, or Jesus showed that authority. Then there's the intimacy. Jesus knew that they hadn't caught anything that day. Jesus knew that they were struggling. And if you're a fisherman on this time, that was your livelihood. 
And that may have been even been your food. Like it wasn't just your income to sell the fish to others. That may have also been your dinner for your family. And so he knew they were struggling. They were trying, they're not making ends meet. And that would have been enough to be God. But then we see God's goodness and that he provides for that need. We can recognize, oh, that person, I mean, we do it when we drive by that person on the, on the highway. Oh, they, they need some food. That's knowledge. <laughs> That's the intimacy. Like, we see that. But God's goodness says, I'm going to provide for that. And he did that for Peter. And so by those four things, Peter is able to recognize that this is God. And because of that, he kneels himself down and says, I am unworthy to be in front of you. So I want to challenge you right now in this moment, if you have not repented of your sins, if you have not looked at God and said, I am unworthy because of this, because I've done this, we just read the list. If you have not asked for forgiveness in that, the next two steps that we're about to walk through will mean nothing for you because you can't do it because you've not asked for forgiveness of your sins. There's no magic phrase. There's no, like, I mean, we, we use the ABCs of salvation, or we have this like, sinner's prayer. It's not really in Scripture. It's just ways that we, that we try to make it easier for people to, to grasp what, the, what God wants. He wants us to admit that we're sinful. He wants us to admit that Jesus, the Son of God, through his sacrifice, is the only way to restore a relationship with God, to have not just eternal life, but to have a life of fulfillment and abundance here on earth until that time. And we only do that by confessing that Jesus is Lord and that we are sinful, sinners. That's all you have to do. And so like in this moment, and, and I'm going I'm I'm to say this too. When we say, bow your heads, close your eyes, no one in the room is looking, that's BS. Like, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> It is, though, because God, if we're to confess that Jesus is Lord, that is not a private thing. That is a public thing, saying, yes, Jesus is Lord and I am not. And so in that, there, when we say publicly, just like baptism, when we say publicly that Jesus is Lord, I am a sinner, it means I'm telling somebody out here that I need to be held accountable for the sins that I've done. And if we're going, oh, the pastor's not looking, maybe I'm going to bow my head, raise my hand. Who's going to hold you accountable? What confession is that? So if you've not made that confession that Jesus is Lord of your life, not just Savior, because some of us would act like Jesus is Savior, but he's not Lord. It means he, we are not following him. We'll get there in a moment. But if he is not Savior and he is not Lord in your life, now is your chance. Right now. You may have a stroke on your way out the door. You may be in a car accident on the way home. This might be your only chance. We've, we've just said it. We've sung it. This is your opportunity to say, Lord, save me. Help me become who you want me to be. Think on that. If you aren't sure yet, we're going to have the deacons and elders and pastoral team up here later to walk through that with you, to pray with you. But I urge you, please, this might be your last chance to say, Jesus, please, this, I am a sinful, sinful person. Help me become who you want me to be. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for still desiring a relationship with me. Sit on that while, while we continue. These next two spots will still apply to you. 
when you say yes to Jesus, when you repent of your sins. And repenting, it's not a one-time thing. It's a daily thing. It's a daily thing. But if you've not done it once, today's your day. Today's your day. And if you question whether or not Jesus is the, the way or Jesus is the reason or Jesus is the, um, the ultimate sacrifice, let me just throw some scripture at you. Um, the call to repent says in John three thirty six, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. There's some of the saving. John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The only way to get to be in the presence of God is through Jesus and his sacrifice and what he said and lived and did. 1 John 5, 12, whoever has the Son has life, and whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Pretty simple right there. John 3, 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not Sorry, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Either way, you have a destination, but it's up to you to make the choice of which one you want to go to. So I urge you today that God sees you not as judge. He can, he does see you as judge, but that judgment also says, oh, they're covered by the blood of Christ. That judgment means that they get life and there's mercy and there's grace. God sees you. He wants you to see his authority because he created the world and he knows what's best. He has intimate knowledge of you and says that you were created as good. And I hope that his goodness in that, his, his desire to make a way for you to still have a relationship with him draws you in. It's what drew Peter in. Peter was willing to set aside his dreams and his hurt, his frustrations. He literally left everything in that boat and said, God, (laughs) yes, you must be. And in that, he was then able to be told, I'll follow you. He was then able to to be asked, follow me, or to be told, rather. Um, He still had that choice to say, yes, you're a Lord, but I ain't going to follow. And in that, like uh, most Christianity, most Christians in the Western world here in America, uh, our, our American Christianity, our, our Bible Belt Christianity, most people you walk to in the public, and most people, I dare say, in this room, yes, Jesus is Savior, but Jesus is not Lord. And what we do in that is, is we, we take on the benefit of the blood we take on the benefit of Jesus' sacrifice, but we leave out the, the, the work of heaven. If we don't recognize Christ's authority and sacrifice for us, we cannot say, I'll follow you. So will you let your conviction bring you to a place of repentance? Conviction should always bring you to a place of repentance, always. If it stops that conviction, what are you doing? Sin, (laughs) which brings on more conviction. (laughs) So so Peter humbled himself, said, you must be Lord. So we're gonna move to the next spot, which is the call to follow. 
after he's repented, after he said, you are God, I'm going to do whatever, I'm going to leave everything else. It's a call to follow. And this is Matthew 4, 18 and 19. This is another account of the same story. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Immediately they followed him. They left everything behind. Peter had this zeal to say, this is God. He has saved me. He has said, I am still good. Despite what all those other Jews have to say, God says, I'm good. And what's interesting is that Jesus hasn't even died yet on the cross, and yet he still recognized that goodness of God in that moment. He left everything. I'm going to show you an example, and because of time, I'll probably just tell it. But there's another example when somebody else is told to to follow, follow God. Jesus is encountered by this man, and he says, follow me. And what happens is it's called the story of the rich young ruler. Um, it's in, that way you can make a note and read it later, Matthew 19. So in Matthew 19, there it is. Um, again, the Synoptic Gospels, same story, three different perspectives. Um, and so what happens is this guy comes up to Jesus and his disciples and says, Master, Master, what, what do I do, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's a question many of us have asked or have, been, have, been, uh, have heard. And he said, and he goes, I've, I've, he, he's like, I've, I've kept all the commandments. I've done this. I've done this. I haven't done this. He says, I've kept all the commandments. Like, like surely that, that's enough. Surely that's what it is. And Jesus says, go and sell, your, sell all your possessions and give it to the poor. Then follow me. It's like he almost doesn't even talk about the heaven piece. <laughs> he says, go sell your possessions, give it to the poor, and then follow me. Now, we don't know what happens. He could be one of the uh, followers that show up later when there's 500 added or 1,200 or so on. But at least in this account, we don't know what happens with him. We don't know whether or not he actually goes back and sells this stuff. Maybe he sells it for his own gain. Maybe he sells it and actually gives it to the poor. We don't know. But the idea here is that when, when, when Jesus says to do this, he, Jesus doesn't care about what he has. He doesn't care about um, what he's done. He says, do you trust me? The call of us to follow is not about what we have, but it's how far are we willing to trust. Do you trust that you can, you, you can step, step away from your family? You can step away from your work? You can step away from the years of wealth you've built? You can step away from all the, the homes you've built, the family that you have? Like, are you willing to step away from everything and not just for the sake of the cost, not just, well, I gave up this for you, Jesus. No, it's do you trust me to provide those things for you? Do you trust that I'm going to provide that wealth, that I'm going to provide that family, I'm going to provide that job, even if it means changing jobs or moving 12 hours away from your family? What does that mean for you? You have to make that choice. There is a cost in that following Peter said, yes, Peter was eager. He left everything. But this, this, this other young man, for all we know, he says, it's, it's not worth it. I've already done everything I'm supposed to do. Why, why do more? He recognized Jesus as Savior, but he didn't recognize Jesus as Lord. 
Too often we simply say yes to Jesus and no to the call. We reap the benefit of the blood, but not the work of heaven. And we have to stop prostituting God's goodness and Jesus' sacrifice for our own benefit. Because some of us, we, when we hear that, that follow me, God, or that God saying to us, follow me, we, we're like, if he says, please sell all your fancy china, sell all your computer parts, sell those uh, beanie babies that you've collected for 30 years, like whatever that wealth is that you've got, sell it. And we're like, yes, yes, I will do it, God, I will do it. But what if he says, hey, sacrifice that 20 minutes on TikTok or that 20 minutes on Netflix or Fox News, CNN. If we aren't willing to sacrifice those 20 minutes in a day to get into his word, what makes you think he's gonna ask us to do anything more than that? And truly, are you, are you ready to do that? Because we gotta be careful. We want to be called and sent so badly, sometimes we don't even do the little things of just being called to follow Jesus. We wanna be called to sent, but God, I, I don't know if I can follow you in this piece. Before we get to the next step, you've already repented. There's a call to follow. And if you aren't willing to be obedient in the follow, then how in the world are you going to be able to accept the call to be sent? Debate whether or not I should say this. I'm going to go ahead and say it. So, um, talking about these, these little things. If you're, let's say you're called to be sent today and you've not sacrificed that time to get in God's word. Let's say you're, you're sent. What are you gonna be sent with? Are you gonna be sent with today's sermon? Are you gonna be sent with the love that you received when you walked into the door? Or are you gonna be sent with the knowledge of who God is because you spent time with him? Or are you gonna be sent with the love that you have received from God, not necessarily from God's people, but from God himself. And if you don't know God's wisdom and who he is, if you don't know God's love, then what are you giving? What are you being sent to teach and to share? And so in that, I have a weekly little schedule here. I was just kind of in my rant writing. Um, and so get in the word. Memorize God's word to you and to others. So on Sunday, learn the songs we sing. Most Christian songs, most worship songs have some sort of scriptural background or some scriptural element into it. If they don't, maybe question whether or not it's Christian. But here or there. <laughs> um, but learn the songs that we sing. Find them in scripture. Google the chorus and see, okay, where in scripture is this coming, at, coming in at? On Monday, take the scriptures that we throw up on the screens, all the ones that we've been showing so far. Um, memorize them. Open them up in your own Bible on Monday. On Tuesday, act on it, apply it, show it to your coworker, show it to your classmate, show it to your father. Wednesday, it means don't turn a cold shoulder to the beggar or to the, the, the person that just, ugh, I hope they're not at church tonight. <laughs> Thursday, praise God more than you pray for things. Don't ask for anything, just simply praise him. Friday, give up certain habits or communities that are in direct conflict with who God is. Saturday, use those talents and gifts that you have gotten from God. So mow somebody else's yard, host a cookout for the less fortunate, invite the widows to your family dinner, invite the orphan to help you clean your garage. Like, these are all small things in the follow 
that God says you can do. It's, these are not calls to go preach to a thousand people in India. Like, this is not start a, a coffee shop ministry for college students. These are little tasks that mean big things so that when you are called to go to India or to launch a coffee shop or to do whatever it is God is sending you to do, you are adequately prepared and you're not gonna burn more people because you know what that means. You know what that relationship with God means for you. You're not, you're not pouring into somebody else from an empty cup. So when we obey him in these little things, faith, prayer, worship, scripture reading, ridding of ourselves, seeking him in every little thing. When we obey him in those things, we are ridding ourselves of everything that's not. Repent, accept the call to follow, and then he says, I'll make you fishers of men. I'm gonna show you a video of you, uh, real quick. His name is Bill Dance, um, so let's check it out. All weather changes, but one particular bait. In towing your boat, here is a safety chain tip. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, shoot. with quality components, guides, real seat, as well as a handle. A rod that's lightweight, that's extremely sensitive. Dead gummit. Well, it's sensitive, all right. It's sensitive enough, and I felt that fan. Dead gummit. The Colorado blade puts out more vibration than they, let's say, a willow blade, or even the Oklahoma blade. Golly. Come here. Come here. Woo! We got our rods. We've got our life preservers. We've got our tackle box. We've got our cooler. And we've got our battery. You're not going to be able to jump it. Oh. Ah! exposed to the harmful UV rays. That's why I use a quality sun cream like Blue Lizard. Blue Lizard gives you maximum protection. What the heck was that? <laughs> so until next time, Catch one for me and enjoy the great fishing America has to offer. We'll see you next time.
Juan Nelly. I thought I had it in reverse. So, fishing can have its adventures. Um, I did not grow up fishing, so uh, Emma and uh, her sister, I remember when we first were dating, she showed his videos all the time. And um, so it was just funny. But how many of y'all actually fish? Okay, a few of you guys. Um, not me. I didn't really grow up in it. Um, and I got a buddy who's been helping me kind of learn how to do that, hold the fishing pole the right way, you know, all those things. But um, Peter was a fisherman, all right? Kind of make the connection here. So whether or not Scripture says this and God, God, or Jesus said this to Peter because they were fishermen or because of the analogy of actually going out and reaching people, you can take it either or. There's different debates on that. But the idea is that when Peter is told, you're going to be fishers of men, these were professional fishers. And so they knew where to go. They knew where the rocks were. They knew where their, their boat would, uh, would hit land. They knew where the fish stayed. They knew how not to be over, uh, under a certain bank, uh, embankment. They knew what bait to use, what kind of fish they were going to catch, what kind of net. They knew every intimate piece of about fishing, every piece. And so if we are to be called fishers of men, we have to know people. And so in that... Um, just like fishing, there, there's a level of patience that we have to have. When we go and reach people, uh, just like in fishing, sometimes you throw that cast out one time and you got something. And sometimes you're out there for eight hours and you get nothing. We have to know where the people are. We have to know our neighbors, what their, what their dreams are, what their hurts. Your, the people that sit in the row beside you. I mean, take a le- look to your left and to your right. If you're to be fishers of men, do you know that person? Do you know if they have recognized Jesus as Lord? You've sat there for at least one week. We have to know people, and there's patience in it. We have to, um, we have to expect God to move in that and expect them to say yes to Jesus, even if it takes a long time. Some people, you share that message of hope with them, that God saved you, that God's going to help you get out of this situation if you say yes to him and if you're obedient. And immediately, like, they're, they're all in. We've seen those stories. But then there's some people, it's like watching that bobber go up and down a little bit. You're like, ooh, oh, they, they, they almost got it. And then it goes under, and you yank it, and you're reeling in, and it's, it's kelp or seaweed. Like, man. Some people, they give up. I'm like, well, I'm not going to fish over there again. But you know that fish is still over there because he's been biting. And so what you do is you cast it back out over there and you wait. Sometimes we fish in areas and ponds where they're just, just full of bass and crappie. Sometimes it's shark week and we're holding on to the edge of the boat. <laughs> and, and we're doing that for some time. But that catch is worth it whether it takes two seconds or it takes 20 years. That catch is worth it. Part of the cost is, are you willing to endure and be patient and continue to do good and continue to obey and continue to follow? Again, if you've not repented, 
how can you follow? And if you've not followed well, how can you be sent? Some of us know that we are called to do something. Right now, you may be told to, hey, you need to take this person out for lunch. You need to call your coworker. You need to say hey to your dad. You need to ask for forgiveness in this person. If you hit this corner over here, you need to give them 10 bucks. Whatever it is, sometimes we get that, that small thing of asking of obedience. And then we don't do it. Sometimes we forget. Sometimes we're like, well, I only got a debit card. Or, uh, well, they're, they're in their nap time right now, so I'm not going to call them. We make excuses. Like, and in the moment, once, like, especially if we're in church, we've repented, we're on this high, we're in this excitement. We're like, yes, God, I'm going to do anything. I will, I will travel across the country. I'll learn a new language for you. But then we get home, and they're like, man, I, I, I forgot to call my mom. I forgot to hand that person 10 bucks. I forgot to say hey to that person who sits across the church from me. And we may go, well, God, if you really wanted me to do it, you would have reminded me. God already told you to do it. <laughs> and so, like, there, there's no sense on bartering in something that he already told you to do. And so, like, in our faith, we, we have these seasons where we get excited and we go and do it, but then we forget. Or, like, what, we get home and we're like, well, if I, for, I forgot and God didn't remind me, well, I'm too young anyways, or I'm too old, or, you know, God, you really don't want to use me. Like, I've, I've, I've said too many things to hurt too many people, or I've done this. We, we excuse things away. but we got to be like Peter, and we, and we do not haste. We do not wait. If God's calling you to repent, do not wait. If he's saying to follow, do not wait. If he's saying to fish for men, do not wait. I'm going to read this quote from uh, Charles Spurgeon. It says, remember, it is possible for us to have grace in the heart and yet still be a disobedient. We, the church, have many such mournful specimens, specimens we cannot but hope that they will enter heaven, for they are washed in the precious blood and clothed in the Savior's righteousness. But they do little, if anything, for Christ. Because they have tampered with his cause, they have violated convictions, and have started back from duties in the exercise of their unbelief. Instead of pressing forward in the glory and the majesty of simple faith in Christ Jesus. If you feel that you have anything to do, do it directly. If God calls you to preach, do it before you go home. Do it in the street. I pray you, if, if, and if there is anything which claims your immediate attention, if there is a poor person you ought to relieve, if there is anyone to whom you ought to speak before leaving this place, I beseech you to do not trifle with conviction, but as faithful servants of Jesus Christ being saved and professing to him, I pray you instantly do whatever you feel you have to do for him. Are you going to do it? We are all called to be disciples. We are all called to share the gospel. We are all called to spread God's message of love and hope. It's not just the preacher's job. It's not just so-and-so's job. It's not your Sunday school teacher or your small group leader. We are all called to share the message and to make disciples. Now, there are people who are called to be pastors and preachers and small group leaders and so on and so on. But they aren't called to be that until they are called to disciple first which goes to our next spot, our last uh, point here of the call to be sent. 
when I, when I, when I speak in this, in this section here, I'm not talking about the call to be a pastor or the call to be a missionary, this grand, grandiose thing. I'm talking about the call to make disciples, the call to make Jesus known as you go. That call in the great commission of make disciples of all nations, it's, it's an as-you-go statement. It's not when you go, it's as you go, as you go to work, as you parent your kids, as you join the PTA, as you have dinner with your friends, as you sit here in church, as you go, make disciples. Peter wasn't able to be sent until he spent that time following God in obedience. Because what we look at at this other part of of Peter's life, we're going to go to Matthew 16, make a note of it, verses uh, 13 through 18. Peter has watched Jesus over, over some time. He's seen what he's done. He's seen what he says. He's seen his character. And Peter immediately knew he was, a, he was God on the boat. But in this moment, we see a different revelation here that Peter gets. Verse 14, and they said, some say John, sorry, 13. Now when Jesus came into the, the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, who do you say that the son of man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others say Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And Jesus said to them, the disciples, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell cannot prevail it. Peter spent time with Jesus, so that's the only way he was able to recognize that he was the Son of God. No person told him that. Only his obedience to Jesus and his time spent with God. And in that moment, he was then called to be the rock of the church. You have a special calling, a unique calling that only you can do. You have a story and a testimony that only that will allow you to reach people only you can reach. Peter, if we fast forward in his life, he was the first person to preach the, the gospel after the Holy Spirit fell upon them. He was also the first person to preach to the Gentiles. Without Peter's obedience and without Peter's uh, ability to jump, jump out the boat or to say, hey, you are the son of God. Without that, this church would not exist. Your life as a Christian would not exist because of Peter's disobedience. But praise God, he was obedient. And even when he wasn't, God still used that. Peter repented, he, was, he followed, and then he was called. Some of us were pulled out of dark moments in our lives some of us were pulled out of dark situations. We, ha- we have stories of faith because of God's goodness, because of how bad our life was. If you compare Emily and I's life and our, and our faith, um, we talk about this some of how like my, my relationship with God leans more in faith because I had to trust God to provide for things like food, like shelter, a loving family, that somebody's not gonna come in and touch me, somebody's not gonna uh, you know, take our food, somebody's not, not gonna spend all their money on a piece of crack versus some meals for dinner for the family of five. Like there was faith, like our, our trust in God, my, my relationship with God is, God, you're gonna provide, you have saved me from these horrible situations. Now on the other side, Emma, 
she grew up in a Christian household. She grew up in, the, in a family of faith. And so she, her relationship with God looks different. Hers is not necessarily a, a God saved me out of this situation. But what she has learned through time is that, she, that God is good. God is consistent. That God is who he says he is in here. God proved himself to me by his supernatural ability to show up. God proved himself to Emma through being consistent from what she read in here. You need both. You need both. But we both have a testimony. We both have a story to share. We both have people that we only we can reach. There are people that she's going to be able to meet and talk to that I can't share with because I, I didn't grow up in the faith. I don't know what it means to have somebody in my household who divorced or beat somebody else in the family while still preaching on a Sunday. I don't know what that might mean. She might not either, but she has that ability of knowing what it means to grow up in a Christian home. But she might have a harder time reaching somebody who grew up on drugs because her family was nowhere near that and refused to be around people like that for the safety of their family. You have that same story. Whatever your background is, whatever your story is, and because you've, been, you've repented, because you've followed, you can now be called to be sent to share that testimony and to share God's word. A couple of weeks ago, some of you guys were up here up front. Ryan had called you guys to say, hey, if you don't know what your calling is, if you're, if you're struggling with what it is that God's asking you to do, if you're like, God, what am, what am I doing? Some of y'all came up here, and you might still be in that boat. One, I'm gonna plug our app, our One Church app. Um, we have a spiritual gifts test on there that you can take, you can sign up, complete it, and in that, you can see where God's moving in your life and what things he has gifted you with and how you can use those to share his word. That might be, like we talked about earlier, opening up a coffee shop. That might be inviting somebody over to dinner because you have a hospitality. It might be uh, hosting a prayer group because you know how to pray. But we have to be, we, we cannot haste in it. We have to be ready to go when he says go. Take that step of faith. God chooses to use sinful, broken people to share the hope of his son. And don't deny it. Don't be like Jonah in the Old Testament. It's only four chapters if you want to read it and don't know the story. But Jonah basically was told, go share the word. And he repeatedly said no. <laughs> and different things happened to him to make sure that he did it despite his willingness. Um, he was kind of forced into it. Um, don't say no when God tells you to do something if he's told you to repent, if he's told you to follow, if he's told you to do this. I'm going to close with a video. Um, worship team, y'all can go ahead and come up. Um, I'm going to close with a video, and this is a latter part of Peter's life. Peter has repented. Peter has accepted the call to follow. He has been a fisher of men. But then Peter says No. Peter, Peter says, no, I don't, I don't know Jesus. No, I'm going to preserve my safety. So what happens is when Jesus is, is, is being pulled into uh, the place where he's going to be judged and tried and he's going to get ready to, to be thrown up onto the cross to die for our sins, um, Peter denies Jesus. They, the a crowd comes in and says, hey, ain't you, aren't you one of those? You're one of the, his disciples. You, you spend time with him. 
This is after he recognized, one, that he was God and that he was the son of God later. And he still denied Jesus. Like, they, they're like, you're, you're one of his people. And he said, no, I don't know that man. Mm-mm. He denied what God had told him to do, to make him known. Now, granted, in this specific story, Jesus said, you're going to deny me. We talked about that last time I preached. Um, but the idea is that he was still obedient. Peter still had the choice to obey, despite Jesus foretelling that. Like, he still had that choice to actually obey and say, you know what, oh, yeah, I do know him. Let me, here, go ahead and chain me up too. <laughs> Peter acted like the rich young ruler in that moment and said, uh, this isn't worth it. My life is not worth it. Who, how people think of me isn't worth it. If I say yes to this, my, I'm, I'm going to leave my wife as a widow. My family's business is going to go down. If I say yes to this, my life is going to, like, my life will be gone. Even if that's okay, the people around me, their life is going to be altered forever too. He was disobedient because he refused the call to follow. In that moment, he refused the call to be sent. But something else happens. We're going to watch this clip. Grace is God's unmerited favor for us, his crazy love. And the truth is, many times we struggle understanding it. If you find yourself struggling to understand God's grace, don't beat yourself up. Even the disciples struggled with understanding grace. Jesus, is that you? You're alive. I can't believe you're alive. Okay, I was in the boat and I wasn't catching any fish, okay? But I heard this voice and the voice said, cast your net to the other side. And so I'm thinking, I'm a fisherman. I know what I'm doing, but I'm not catching any fish, you know? And so I throw that net over there and then a gaggle of fish pop into that net and I'm going, this is a total miracle. Who could have done that? I need to know who told me to throw the net to the other side. And boom, I look up and I mean, there is you. You're looking at me on the seashore going, it is I, the Lord, and you're alive. I can't believe you're alive. This is awesome. Andrew, get out of the boat. Come on. Peter, yeah. do you love me? Yes, I love you. I love you. You're alive. This is so great. Good, and, then feed my sheep. Andrew, get out of the boat. Come on, man. It's him. Peter, Yeah. do you love me? I love you, yes. And I'm so sorry about that rooster clucking. I had no idea what that meant, but I do not. I'm better for it, all right? Okay. Then feed my sheep. Andrew, I'm smiling, but I'm serious. Come on, get out of the boat. It's him. Peter, Yeah. do you love me? Jesus, mere words cannot describe the passion that I have for you. I love you. You know everything. I love you. Good. Good. Then feed my sheep. I didn't even know you had livestock. That is so like you, though. There's something new about you all the time. That's what I love about you. Peter, yeah. do you remember uh, the morning the ladies went to the tomb? Yeah, 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 yeah. We're all in the upper room trying to figure out what to do next, you know, because we thought you were dead. You know, you were dead, you know, and we're trying to figure all that out, you know. And Mary comes running up, and Mary's like saying, beehive, beehive, beehive. And I'm thinking, I'm allergic to bees. Like, keep them out. You know what I'm saying? But as she kept getting closer, I heard her correctly. She was saying, he's alive, he's alive, he's alive. And we're going, who's alive, who's alive? And she said, she was at the tomb, and the tomb was empty. And she said that there was an angel there. And the angel said, go tell the disciples and Peter that everything is okay, he is risen. And so me and John, we hightailed it down there. And if John says he beat me, he's totally lying, all right? I beat him, FYI, all right, you know? And we get down there and I'm looking in that tomb and it is, it is empty. There's nothing in there, you know what I'm saying? And I'm like, what does this mean? What does this mean? And John is right there. John is so good with words. He should write a book. He is so good with words. And John said, 
don't you get it, Peter? This is everything Jesus said he was going to do, and you did it, and it's done. Let's go. This is so great. Wait. Yeah. The angel said what? Uh, go tell the disciples and Peter that everything is okay. He is risen. You've risen. Let's go. This he is said what? Go tell the disciples and Peter. Tell the disciples and Peter. You said my name. Why did you say my name? Peter, that's grace. No, no, I don't, I don't deserve that because that night people kept coming up to me asking me if I belonged to you, if I was with you, and I kept denying you left and right, all right? No, it'll take me my whole life to make up for what I did. It was unforgivable for no, what I did. No. What I did on the cross was meant to take what is unforgivable and make it forgivable. That's my grace. It's not about you. It's always about me. That's grace, Peter. Grace is available for you. Grace is what allows us to accept that call out of darkness into marvelous light, that call of repentance. Grace is what allows us to be in the service of God by being in his presence, by being faithfully obedient. That's the grace to follow. And grace is to still be of service to God despite who we are as sinful people, to use us as instruments to share his grace. That's the call to be sent. You have three options today, and everybody, I hope, makes a, a choice to accept one of these three calls. Deacons, elders, if y'all want to come up, our pastoral team. You have the choice to repent and receive the Lord Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Lord and Savior. You have the option to, call, to, to accept the call to follow. You need to deepen your faith. You need to read more. You need to pray more. Maybe it's joining a small group. Whatever it is to get more into God's presence and step away from those things that are not of God. Maybe your follow means to no longer follow your friends. It might mean changing jobs or the call to be sent. Is God calling you to, to, to go to a specific person, to go across the street and have coffee with your neighbor? Is he calling you to launch a small group? Is he calling you into ministry? Or is he simply calling you, hey, I need you to tell about my grace and my love to your coworker that you sit beside every day for the past 13 years. You have those three options. Because for me, I, I ran away from my call at one point. I, see, in, in, in this account of Peter, they were back on the boat. They were back fishing. They left what God told them to do and make, be fishers of men and they actually went back to be fishermen, like just regular fishermen because they thought he was dead. Peter potentially thought that I messed up so I, he, can't make, he can't use me anymore. So let me just go back to what I was doing when he first found me. I've, I've been called to, pre, to, to be in ministry um, since I was 16 years old. I've known that. But when I was 23, I ran from it because I was hurt by so many people in the ministry. I dealt with a pastor who was had some race issues. I dealt with a coworker who was my friend who uh, just did hurtful things and didn't understand where I was sitting at. 
I dealt with depression and so I was like, God, there's no way. There's no way you can use me. How can I tell somebody about your love if I still don't understand your love for me? So I left and I worked for a sign shop uh, doing graphic design and thought that's what I'll be doing for the rest of my life because I did enjoy it. I do enjoy it. But what I didn't know was that God's grace was still working in the background because about a year later, I met Ryan and Vanessa who were launching this church. And in that, they're like, hey, we like, tell us a little bit of your story. We see that you're a designer. We need somebody to help with our stuff and marketing. Are you interested? And I was like, well, God, I've already told you I'm not working for a church again. Like, I've worked for a church and a parachurch, been burned both times, not doing it. But I said yes, because I was like, you know what? I'm not doing youth ministry. I'm not doing kids. I'm not like in ministry. I'm just making things look pretty for the church. <laughs> but two years after I said yes to that, God said, all right, I told you you're going to be a, a minister. It's time to go get your license. You started this, you quit. He was showing me grace, just like Jesus showed Peter grace. Whatever reasons you have said no to accepting this call, whatever call it is that you have that God's placed in your heart right now, there is still grace in that. God still uses that. He can use your stories. And maybe in your disobedience, there is now a testimony for you to share to reach somebody else. Which one are you going to accept? Call to repent, call to follow, or call to repent? or to be sent. Elders are up here, our deacons. If you want to uh, pray with them, ask questions, have them pray for you. Um, they're here available for you. Or if you just need this space to be, but don't leave here without accepting one of those calls, please. I urge you. for listening to audio from One Church. If you made a decision of any kind today or would like to learn more about what your next step is, visit onechurchnc.net. If you are local to our campus, claim your visit online at onechurchnc.net slash visit.